0: You just sang about it. But when was the last time you were consumed by anything? When was the last time you were so captivated that that you were so in awe of something? When was the last time you've been so moved by something? That it produced a response in your soul. It, It was so captivating, the wonder of the something. Of the anything, whatever it is, that you had to write about it. You had to share it. You had to shout it. You had to sing it. You had to say it. It just produced something in you that couldn't be contained within you. Because what you were captivated by was so majestic and so glorious. That as much as you tried to explain it, there are not enough adjectives to describe it. As much as you would try to, to with words of eloquence, you just can't quite, because it's just. When was the last time you were that in awe of anything? I've had a couple of those moments. When I was several years back, we took a vacation, we were in Colorado, when we were on our way from Denver to Colorado Springs, we were in the home of Don's parents, Mr. Chi and or Miss <laughs> Miss Chi and Mr. Richard, and and we were driving. And man, we were just waiting for this Pikes Peak thing because we had just heard about it, how it was great and just glorious. And so my kids were all little, and we're in this car rental thing, you SUV, and all of a sudden we come over a rise in the road and there it was. It was so huge. It was so, as my kids would say when they were little, my kids still say it today, ginormous, that the thing literally filled our windshield. I mean, from one end to the other for miles and miles. It was just huge. Instantaneously, the boys Broke out in song, which was not uncommon in, in our car as we traveled. And all of a sudden, our whole car, all five of us, found ourselves singing, Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. I sing for the joy or the, the praise to the King. Mountains bow down. As we looked at that great mountain, not one day, and two will cry forth the glory of God, because it is part of the handiwork of God. And as we kept singing that song, every you know. See, roll at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I love you. Forever I take my stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. And we drove for miles and miles and miles. And my kids and my wife and I sang that song over and over. And we'd get louder as we got closer to this ginormous thing that captivated all of us. And it just made us. We had to respond. When was the last time you were so moved by a moving of God? When was the last time you were so enamored, so awestruck by the power, by the demonstration of God, whether it was in creation or whether it is in your life, that it produced a response in your soul that you had to say it, you had to share it, you had to sing it, you had to shout it because God is God. Psalm chapter 8, you find such a guy. His name's David. He has this musical instrument called a a github. We don't know what it is, but it is this musical instrument that he sets this psalm to music. And he's saying, for the joy of the work of God's hand, his creation. It's one of those praise God at the top of your voice psalms. It's It's a psalm that invokes the word glory quite a few times in a short amount of verses. It's a song that demands a response of glory from us. Every time I think of the word glory, I always go back to my, some of the best things that ever happened to you in life happened in church. We had this brother in, in, in the Lord, his name was Claude Butler. He was old when I was young, and, and the preacher would be preaching instead of amen, and he'd go, glory. And he'd do it like that, man. He'd hit that GL, kind of, you know, guttle it in the back of his throat there, and if glory. And he'd amen, and some of us had not off, but he just, if the preacher was doing good, he'd go glory. I kind of miss those days. I kind of miss the days when Sister Granny Collins would do a little shouting, Brother Claude Butler would do a little glorying because they were so captivated by who God is and what he has done and what he continues to do in their lives that they cannot help but shout glory. I think some of us need to get our little shouting shoes on every now and again, you know? I think sometimes y'all get a little too quiet, man. God gives us something to glory about kind of like that. I feel like T.D. Jakes when I do that. Glory about, you know? By the way, just to let you know, you're listening to a guy that believes that our God is the God of all creation. You're looking at a guy who believes Genesis 1-1. The Bible's not a science book. I don't understand it all, but I just believe in the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Somebody ought to go, glory, you know? That this world was not left up to chance or fate or, or some kind of long evolutionary process. But a holy God moved by divine love, moved by supernatural power, created all that you see and all that you cannot see. So that your life and my life might be benefited by his majesty, his splendor, and his glory. That we, the prime crown jewel of his creation, might be the ones that reflect his glory, the chief and the most of all creation. And so here it is, Psalm 8. You say, well, hey, wait a minute. What about evolution here, preach? I'll be honest. I was raised in public school, went half my college years to a, a, a secular university, and I, I got a healthy dose of, of empirical silence and, um, science and empirical knowledge and evolutionary processes. I want you to understand, teenagers, college, and career, and, and, and maybe for others, man, this was a big stumbling block in my faith. It really was. Everybody talked about dinosaurs except my preacher. Everybody was talking about the age of the earth except my preacher. And I, I, I understood that there were things that were, that were there in the physical world, fossils and things that needed an explanation, but nobody was explaining them until I started digging. See, when I was in college, the evolutionary pendulum had swung way to one side. And now I'm telling you, there is a movement afoot, intelligent design, whatever you want to call it, that is, that, that is taking the pendulum back the other way. Greg Easterbrook writes in his book, Besides Still Water, Searching for Meaning in an Age of Doubt. And I don't believe he is a Christian author, but he writes this, if the Big Bang... And he does this, he was award-winning, and he went on and to describe about science and the Big Bang and how it just had to be, you know, because order comes out of chaos, if you believe in an evolutionary process, and what he is saying is the Big Bang did not have time to have, you know, to have process order out of chaos, because if you had chaos, he writes this. He said if the Big Bang had been slightly less violent, the explosion of the universe would have been less rapid and would have collapsed back on itself. If the explosion had been slightly more violent, the universe might have dispersed into a soup so thin to aggregate into stars. The odd against this were, and this is just the right word, astronomical. The ratio of matter and energy to the volume of space at the Big Bang must have been within about one quadrillionth of one percent of idea for life to have come from it. Life is so improbable, it must somehow be favored by something. By some first cause to which, said Thomas Aquinas, an early church Christian, everyone gives the name of God. I'm telling you, there are scientists literally running away from it. And here we are as Christians, we are kind of running away from this glory of God's creation, now I'm telling you, I don't understand about the one quadrillion to one percent of idea and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that when God said, "Let there be light," boom, there was light. And when God said, "We're going to part the waters right now," and the Spirit of God moved over the face of the deep, waters parted. And when God said, "Let there," and then He was going to make the sun, the moon, the stars. You say, "Why didn't God make it on the first day?" He's God. He didn't need to. You say well, he swung him out there on nothing to, hide on, to, to, to stand on. He just is God. You say well, I don't understand it. Well, I don't either. But I'm telling you, this book makes more sense in my mind than their book, and so I'm going to stand on this book. And this book says, when I look at God's creation, my heart ought to well up. My heart ought to overflow. My heart ought to rejoice and somewhere in my soul go glory. What do you marvel at? A group of scientists got together one day. They decided that science has come a long way and mankind didn't need God anymore. So they appointed one scientist to go to God and talk. And they had this conversation. And he walked up to God and said, God, we no longer need you. We can do wonderful things with technology, with science, with, with advancements that we've made. We can clone people. We can do many miraculous things. So we just don't need you anymore. God listened patiently as God always does. And he listened kindly to the man as God always does. And after the scientists had been talking, God said, okay, very well. How about this? Let's do it the old-fashioned way. Let's have a man-making contest, to which the scientist replied, great, okay, great. God added, now we're going to do this just like I did it in the old days with Adam. And the scientist said, sure, no problem. And he bent down and he grabbed a hand or started to grab a handful of dirt for himself. And God just looked at him and said, no, 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 no. You get your own dirt and you go make your own dirt. When was the last time you were so moved by God's creation? The songwriter David in Psalm 8 looked up from earth to the expanse of heaven, the moon, the planet, and the stars, and he sings in verse 1, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic, how majestic. It's a royal attribute. It means glorious one. How majestic, how glorious is your name. Above all the earth. It fills heaven, it fills earth. What fills heaven and what fills earth? Your glory. Heaven is just not the the atmosphere around it. I'm telling you, the, the expanse of heaven fills, is filled with his glory. It moved him, it filled him with awe and wonder. Verse 2, he keeps writing about it, singing about it, shouting about it. This would become a song that, as the children of Israel would have a festival at night or they would worship God in the evening, they would sing this song. Bible scholars tell us that in the verse, he considers, he perceives, he thinks in serious thought about what is unthinkable the works of your hands. He's looking at the sun and the moon and the stars. And depending on what hemisphere you're in and, and depending on the weather and the climate and the oscillation factor and lights and all of that kind of stuff, whether you're out in the deep country or you're in the city, you could see between 2,000 and 4,000 stars with the naked eye. Isn't that incredible? I don't think David went one, two, three, four, five, six. Five. I just think he went, wow. Oh my word. Could would you just look at all of this. And he started thinking about the God who made all of this. And as he started to think about a God who made all of this, man, it moved him to give God glory. But if David knew now what he knew then, as a kid growing up, we all knew that Brother Claude Butler to have a glory fit every once in a while. Now glory fit's just when you can't contain yourself. You did a little whooping. You do a little hollering. Maybe even do a little jawing, moving around the front of the church. Just a little, just a little glory fit there. I'm thinking if David knew then what he know, what we know now, I'm thinking he'd have had a glory moment. This is the star Proxima Centauri. It's in the Alpha Centauri kind of area. It's a red dwarf star. And, uh, and it's, cl- it's our closest neighbor. It's 4.22 light years away. That's 270,000 times farther than the earth is from the sun. Isn't that incredible? If the sun were the size of a golf ball to put everything in its scale, then this star would be over 83,000 miles away. Dude, I'm telling you. God's big. And when David looks up and he says, when I consider, and if he would have known that, that God is, is 4.22 light years big, he would have won glory. Or then there's Betelgeuse. I said it so wrong in the first service. It's the second brightest star in the constellation Orion located, and it's about 427 light years from Earth. It's 100 times farther away than Alpha Centauri, our nearest neighbor. It's so big that if you took Betelgeuse and put it at the center of our universe and pulled away the sun and dropped it in the center of our universe, it would take up almost, or up to half of our universe, it would take in the first three planets up to us and, and go to the edge of Jupiter. It's huge. And if David would have known that God had made that in all of his expanse, man, I'm telling you, David would have went, well, glory. They've discovered, I don't know how recent this is, but it's, it's within the last 25 years. They've discovered this thing called the great Or the Sloan Great Wall. I love this stuff, man. I'm telling you, I get into this stuff. And it's that thing that goes this way in that galaxy. And it's not a star, it is a collection of galaxies that are lined up side by side by side that are like thousands of light years across, lined up side by side by side that to a scientist looking from Earth into that solar system, it looks like an impenetrable wall. And it is the hugest thing in our galaxy. It is so great, it is so it is 1.36 billion light years long. And if David would have known that, when David considered the works of his hands, when David considered the moving of God in creation, you talk about a glory moment. David would have been all over it. When was the last time you were so captivated by a thing of God, a movement of God, a creation of God, that you said, God, I give you glory? I stand here in awe and wonder, and I give you praise. Because you are all of that and, and more. Your glory fills light years. Your glory fills 1.3 billion light years long. The Sloan Great Wall. Your glory fills everything that the Hubble telescope has seen or will see. I'm telling you. Then all of a sudden, you would come to verse 4, and an even greater thought occurs to David. He says, if God is all of that, then what am I? He says, what's man? That word man means frail, mortal, feeble. It's kind of like the, the, the elderly when their steps get a little tentative and their movements and their feet aren't as sure. He says, I'm a frail, mortal, and God." You're mindful of me? You're aware of me? You pay attention to me? This is what's man. It's a great question. It, the answer depends on, on your view and the way you live your life is going to depend on how you see yourself. Some people see you as a, as a machine and you can only, they think of terms of what you can produce and what you can do. And that's all you are and your worth and value is is what you can do. Others view you as an animal, part of the animal kingdom and there's no difference between us and a hoot owl and we're all just part of this creation. Some people will say you're a sexual being because sexuality is the key to human nature and so you just embrace it and you just explore it and there's no barriers and there's no morals involved if it just it others say you're an economic being because you got money to spend and all that matters is really money because money brings power money brings opportunity and money is the gateway and so they see you just as this money maker. it and if you cannot make money provide money give them money you are a no value of no use to them Others see you as pawns in the universe, directed and pushed around by those who have the money and the power to get more money and power for themselves. Other people see you as a free being. Now, I didn't have a thing, for, so I thought free willy, okay? <laughs> Other people see you as a free being. And as a free being, you are, you are, that freedom from restraint is the most important issue of life. If it feels good, do it. Have it your own way. Break the rules. You got the idea. It's in the advertisements all over the place. Others see you as a, as a social being, not on social media, but whose group interaction for the greater good is really what distinguishes your value and worth to humanity. But now, let's look at what the Bible says about you. What is man? Who are you? Who are you? The economist says you're an economic being. Freud says you're a sexual being. Donald Trump would say you're pawns in the universe. Willie the whale would say you're a free being. I don't know. But what is man that you're mindful of him? Look at verse 5. Three things in these two verses I just want to show you. God, you, you see that you you made him. You made him. What's man? Man is something God made. Ex deal. Out of nothing. Created from scratch. He created the dirt. It's his dirt. It's his minerals. His water. To put it put it all together. You created by God. Verse four says, Bankind, again that means frail mortal. People have long debated the the and discuss the origins, philosophers and science, theologians, they've all discussed the origins of the universe. Every day on my browser pops up something on one of the pages about some scientific fact that's supposed to give us new insight into the origins of the universe, into origin of life, and ultimately to the ultimate meaning of who we are and why we're here. I'll tell you why you're who we are. On the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image. And so God created he, him. Genesis 1:26. why are you created? To give God glory that's due his name. But if you're not sharing it, singing it, shouting it, saying it, then you ain't glorying it, as brother Claude Butler would say. You are a created being in Jesus Christ. That is to have a heart for God. Matter of fact, if the psalmist David were to know about the heart like medicine knows about the heart today, he would be absolutely just so excited. Your heart is an incredible muscle. If you live to be 70 years, it will will beat more than two and a half billion times in your 70 years. Woo, that'd wear anybody out. Your heart is so powerful. Your heart is such a a workhorse that it does enough work in one hour to lift a 150-pound man to the top of a three-story building. You know, you figure out, you know, physical science and work and force and volume and all that kind of stuff. I I, I don't really care. That's just what I'm telling you, all right? It exerts enough energy in 12 hours to lift a 65-ton tank car one foot off the ground. And if you live 70 years, your heart works hard enough and produces enough power to completely lift the world's largest battleship that's afloat completely up and out of the water. If David would have known that, I'm telling you, he would have went, glory! Glory! When I look out, when I look in, when I look around, God is there and his glory is displayed in his handiwork. The stars and the trees and the mountains and the seas and me, fail, frail, mortal man. See, the point is design always demands a designer and creation always requires a creator. And the Bible says the heavens tell are telling the story of God. They are a marvelous display of his craftsmanship. Look around. The fingerprints of God are everywhere. Let me sum it up in this part. You are a special, unique creation from the mind of the living God. You were born a sinner, capable of making any mistake. But through God's love and forgiveness, you are worthy to receive all the benefits that he has prepared for us. This includes being forgiven of all sin, accepted into the family of God, given a divine purpose to live for, and someday, one day, spending an eternity in perfect fellowship with the creator of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ and God, our heavenly father. You are not an accident. You were God's creative, intentional design who was purposely made so that you might have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So you're created by God. You're not a thing of fate. You're not a happening of chance. You're not animalistic. Your morals, you're created in the image of God. You have the, the ability to think and to feel and to... To reason, you have the ability to choose what's right and what's best. Not only does God create you, but God also crowns you. Look at verses 5 through 8. This is really a unique and interesting part of Scripture because all Hebrew Psalms in the book of Psalms, they're all songs, poetry, set to music, they have a dual meaning. On one level, David is referring all the way back to the book of Genesis when God crowned Adam and Eve, and by extension, all of us, placing them over all creation. But beyond that, it also speaks to our intrinsic worth as human beings. In all of creation, from the microscopic amoebas to the megaton aposaurus, only human beings were created in God's image And while all creation declared God's glory, only humanity, frail men and women, can reflect God's glory. You see, what this crowning means is that in every individual, regardless of color, regardless of background, regardless of social economic status, regardless of what side of the tracks you were born on, regardless of what side of the tracks you live on, Every individual has worth and value and dignity in the sight of God because we were created in his image and we are crowned with his glory. See, that's why we believe in the dignity of human life. It's not something that man bequests upon men or women. It's not something one race gives to another. It's not a status, a being. It is a gift from God. He gives dignity and he gives power because we're made in the image of God. A little girl came home from Sunday school. They were talking about Genesis and she asked her mom, said, Mommy, how did the human race start? And her mother answered, Well, God made Adam and Eve and and they had children and so on and so forth and all mankind was made. And she said, Oh, okay, that's cool. Two days later, she asked her father. She said, Dad, you know, how was the human race started? And he said, well, many years ago, there were monkeys and from which there came other monkeys and then more monkeys. And then finally, one day, we turned, monkeys turned into men and the human race evolved. Well, the little girl was so confused now more than ever. She went back to her mom and she said, Mom, how is it possible? You told me the human race was created by God. And Dad said that they were developed for monkeys. Well, the mother said, well, honey... Listen, sweetheart, it's very simple. I was telling you about my side of the family, and he was telling you about his. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you about our side of the family. Our side of the family believes that there's worth and dignity in every individual, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their heritage, regardless of the color of the skin. Therefore, that means there is no room for pride or prejudice, for bullying or oppression, because every single individual has dignity, value and worth in God's sight, because He is there. Or they are His creation, crowned with His glory. By the way, this whole thing of bullying in school, man, all of us ought to rise up against that mess. Why? Because it's dignity that's being assaulted. Created in the image of God. Crowned with his glory. I hadn't been a pastor very long. Matter of fact, I'm telling you, I'd been pastor about a couple of months. I was out of college. I was green. I was wet. I was, and I was, I didn't know nothing. And I was just preaching away, thought everybody who came to church loved Jesus, loved people. I found out real quick early on in my ministry that people that come to church don't always love Jesus, and not everybody at church loves people. Can you imagine that? We had this fellow start attending. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm I'm new. I'm I'm green. I am like raw. I just I want to make everybody happy, you know. I want to make everybody love me. And I got over that real quick, by the way, but I I want to make everybody and and this gentleman came to me because I talked about God so loving the world that God loves all people regardless of, you know, red, yellow, black, and white. We're all precious in his sight. And I was doing all that and feeling all good and preaching, you know, God's word, just loving it, And, and and he said, Pastor, can I talk to you? in his North Carolina drawl. I said, well, yes, you can. would love to. I just knew he was going to pat me on the back. Tell me what a wonderful message I preached. How my message blessed his soul. Oh, no. He shut the door to my office. That was the first pastoral memo I made to myself. When anyone shuts my door to my office, it is not good for me. And he looked right at me, stood on the corner of his desk, put his hand on the desk, leaned into me, and he said, now, Preach, I know you're young. But I want you to know that here in this country, here in this part of the country, we all believe that black folks ain't got no soul." Now, I'm telling you, I went from a people pleaser to a true stander, just like that. We didn't have one African American in our congregation. I had nothing to gain by making this statement, except I was committed to stand on the truth of God's word. And I looked at him, and I said, we all have value in the sight of God, and that's what the Bible teaches and that's what I'm going to preach, and this probably isn't the church for you. Then I made a memo, when you want to end the conversation, open the door to your office. (laughs) Listen, sometimes Christians can be the most arrogant people I know we walk around with this sense of entitlement that, oh, I'm a Christian, praise God. You don't see any of that in verse 4. David said, not look at me. He was basically saying, woe is me. Isaiah, when God looked at him, he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. David said, I'm a feeble mortal. That whatever is going on in this world, God and God alone gets the glory. Let me give you one final thing from the text. Back up to verse 4. Not only are we created by God, we're crowned by God's dignity and glory and honor, but man, we're cared for by God. You see it right there. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care. That you care. Care for him. That's a beautiful Hebrew word. It's a great word in poetry. It, It means to pay attention to. Isn't that cool? That God pays attention to you. Doesn't that just kind of move you? Doesn't that just kind of kind of get you a little bit? That He cares this God who made the sun, the moon and the stars, who made the Wolf Rayet star, cares about a frail mortal. He pays attention to us. He attends to us. He looks out for us. And perhaps this is what moved David the most as he looked at the sun and the moon and the stars that night. And made his heart just go glory. That he cares for me. I think I can. Don't hold me to it. But I think I could probably go through every aisle in our auditorium here today and tell you a glory moment where God showed up and cared for you in a big way when your back was against the wall when you felt like life was falling apart when you felt like isolated and alone and the world was so big and 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 everything was just so great and you felt so insignificant and God just paid attention to you attended to you looked out after you And there's no explanation. You didn't deserve it. You weren't cool enough, good enough, rich enough, smart enough. He just did it because he's God and he loves you. And it just makes you go glory. I'll just share you two of mine. It was 1982. Some of you have heard me tell this story over and over, but I stood by my dad who stood in front of the cancer doctor, the oncologist, and after my mom's surgery and said, Mr. Turnbull, I wish I could give you good news. I have seen literally hundreds or thousands of these types of situations now, and your wife has the worst of the worst. And while I cannot predict how long, Mr. Turnbull, I would tell you to set her house in order, shook my dad's hand and walked away. Talked to mom last night. She said to tell y'all Hello. see, when your world gets turned upside down, God cares. And I can tell you people I prayed for that, that God cared just as much for them and took them on home to be with Him in glory as He did when He touched them and He healed them. It was 1987. My wife and I we, we, we always loved the expression, we were pregnant, ha! like I'm carrying something. You're going, yeah, look at you. You are carrying something. But anyway, (laughs) I know what you're thinking, people. My wife had this complication with her pregnancy. and Our doctor sent us to University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, the best in the state of North Carolina. They did the X rays and the sonograms, and the best they had to offer at that time. They sat us down in the consultation room and they said, Here is our best advice to you. We suggest that you abort your child. The complications are too severe, and at best, your son will be a vegetable the rest of his life. It will bring hardship and trial and just an excruciating inconvenience to your life. And this is our best recommendation to you that you abort your child. And so we listen to them and thank them for their words of discouragement and went home and just said whatever God gives us is what God gives us. That child led worship this morning at a church plant in Canton, Michigan. See, the thing is, you have those stories, too, where God paid attention to you, where God attended to you, where God showed up in a way that scientists has no explanation for it, where a doctor has no medical terminology to describe it. It was just one of those glory moments when God said, all right now, let me just show you who is God of heaven and God of earth. Let me just remind you folks who's in charge around here. Let me remind you who is. And we know that. some somewhere it used to captivate us. Somewhere it used to cause us to go glory. Somewhere it used to cause us to fall down on our knees and just go, God, I'm not here to ask you for anything. I'm just here to say thank you. You've been a good God to me. What is man? Man, we get it all confused. We are created Beings crowned with dignity and honor cared for by a loving God who gives us meaning and purpose and forgiveness of sin and who wants us to live for his honor and his glory. So when we live for his honor and his glory, people might watch us, but they see him on display in our heart and in our life. So when was the last time you were captivated? When was the last time you were moved to where you just stood in awe and wonder? And your pathway to God may be through creation as a lot of you have that in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the mountains, and the seas, and the valleys, and you stood in awe and wondered. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, When was the last time you've been in awe of something? That you've been so moved by something, so captivated in the wonder of God, of God's moving, of God's creation, of God just being God, that you had to write it, you had to share it, you had to sing it, you had to shout it, you had to go glory as you stand in amazement And give God glory for what he's done in our lives. Pray with me, please. God, it may have been a while because sometimes we feel like we're entitled. Sometimes we feel like we've been through enough.